Hello, everybody. Welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damien Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So this is show number 20 for us. We made it all the way to 20. Number 20. Number 20. We didn't do anything special for this one. We didn't. There was no cake. There's... We don't even have those like little like birthday kazoos or whatever like the, yeah. yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah, like I do. it unfurls and makes yes. a noise yes we don't even I have do those um, that's all oh, right next week let's do it for a hundred yeah or yeah. fifty maybe I would do something good for fifty maybe next week is then our podcast will be old enough to drink so oh that's brilliant we could God. we could drink more beer. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> Should always be drinking beer and podcasting. <laughs> so Not what have we got? You know, what have we got going on today? So um, we got a few different things going on, don't we? You and I kind of went off on our own like lone wolf tangents. Yeah, we this did. Week. Yeah. So the main body of the story is uh, going to be kind of a continuation of that changing face of the city of Vancouver conversation that we had a week or two ago, and so the. Business reporter Troy Brennelson and I sit down with Abby Russell, who is the public information officer of the Port of Vancouver, and she's going to talk with us about what the um, what the future of Terminal One might look like here in some upcoming years and changes afoot. So, if you care at all about what your public spaces look like and what the downtown is going to look like in the future, you're going to want to listen to this. And to be clear, Terminal One covers the uh, the the property. Including the Red Lion, now we have the former Red Lion, now Warehouse Warehouse Twenty Three mm-hmm. over West. Some right, yeah, okay. yeah. I believe it goes over to where that little amphitheater is over there, and the okay. port also owns some property that's between the street and between the rail gotcha. rail yard. Yeah, um, and then the so, rest of it is privately going to be privately owned. Yeah, so. Cool. Uh, on Friday, at least it's slated at this point to come out on Friday, uh, Troy is going to have a story on this that kind of explains a little bit more of what's going on and also encourages people to comment because the public comment section or public comment period is open right now for this project. Cool. Yeah. And then We're- I went off on my own and did a story uh, and I talked with a couple of, a couple of <laughs> students, one at Battleground High School and one at Vancouver, uh, Vancouver School of Arts and Academics about a competition that they're both in called Poetry poetry out loud and the idea of this of this is that these students recite famous works or maybe not so famous works of poetry uh to a panel of judges and so they're not they're not doing their own poetry no it's not their own poetry they're not writing poetry but this um, is like spoken word yeah exactly and they are they're judged based on things like um their body language and their enunciation and Mm -hmm. um, some basic performance sort of qualities um their interpretation of the poems Uh so and both girls have pretty interesting stories and um, reasons that they picked their pieces and then we, we're going to hear them recite a little bit of poetry with some lovely coffee shop sounds in the back so it'll get you uh it'll, Sounds fantastic. <laughs> it'll put you it'll put you in the the place Man, for poetry my inner bohemian is stoked. i know <laughs> <laughs> but i have to say like i uh kudos to those kids because uh i think public speaking and public performing is so hard for people and especially kids public speaking alone is challenging you make somebody go up there and like really act into like a piece of performance art and they're gonna uh, the majority of people are going to just like melt in their boots totally well and this the both girls are are both performers um already uh the gal from battleground is in the jazz band and she's a in the the conventional band up there she plays trombone and um and the other girl at vancouver school of arts academics does a lot of theater and so on they're stages, seasoned pros they're seasoned point. pros yeah stage is kind of their happy place for it's not them, like somebody so. handed them a sheet of paper out of like physics class no. and was like here you got a week to memorize and perform this. no exactly oh, so that's good Cool. And then, uh, and then as, as per the usual, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk to Ashley about uh, Ashley Swanson about what is coming up in uh, Clark County this weekend and what's coming up in Vancouver. So mm-hmm. uh, I will be watching the Oscars this weekend. So that's pretty dope. Yep. I will not be watching <laughs> the Oscars. I'm going to be home alone. Girlfriend is taken off to Astoria. And so Ooh, what you do in Astoria? Just so uh, her sister-in-law, she's the heiress of a rather large shellfish company. <laughs> and so there's like there's Are you serious? Y- you laugh, but no, I'm quite serious. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like 
so anyway, uh, Astoria has, speaking of poetry, Astoria has this really amazing like sea poetry festival where like sailors what? and boat guys go like, they just recite poems. Is that this weekend? Yeah, that's this weekend. What? It's a big thing. Oh, maybe Astoria. I'm going to Astoria this weekend. <laughs> it's rad. It's a big, uh, check out the Daily Astorians coverage of it in the past. Oh. And so anyway, uh, she is going as the young representative of the shellfish company to say, hey, we like fish a lot. Thanks, Thank you, fishermen. Thank you for fishing. Et cetera. So yeah, she's going to give a little presentation. That is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, and those two haven't hung out in a while. So I would honestly, I would love to go check out like the fish poetry, but I also kind of, they need a girl's day. Yeah. Weekend, you yeah. Know? You know oh, no, I want to go to Astoria this weekend. God, I love that town. It's so cute. I would live in Astoria. I would live in Astoria in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. I love Astoria. Word. <laughs> so anyway. That'll be our show. Yeah. Check it out. Stay tuned. Okay, so now uh, Troy Brennelson, the Colombian's business reporter, and I are sitting down with Abby Russell, the spokesperson for the Port of Vancouver, USA. Is that right? That's your, is that your official title? Spokesperson, communications manager, whatever works. Communications for you guys. manager. Yeah, that's my official title, but gotcha. I prefer actually prefer public information officer, PIO. PIO, mm -hmm. really? I can go by that. You prefer that one? Uh, I, well, I've been in government most of my career, so uh -huh. I really enjoy that part of my job. That's exactly why I wanted to bring you in today, because uh, there's some big stuff happening down at Terminal 1 for the port right now. And I feel like, well, it's been maybe a little bit under the radar lately within the last few months. Uh, the port has some big plans and it changes afoot. Is that a foot. Is that a fair assessment? We do have some big plans and it has been kind of quiet because we've been going through what's known as the concept development plan application process. And so what that means is that, um, and we can talk a little bit more about some of the history because it really does tie into this, but essentially um, for about eight or nine months, our staff worked very feverishly uh, together with our consultants on the concept development plan for the port's waterfront property, which is Terminal 1. And that's going to be, um, that's the former Red Lion Hotel, the key restaurant, um, and then the mm -hmm. blocks that are to the north of that between Columbia Way, which is the new roadway that goes through the waterfront, um, to the railroad berm. So we looked at what kind of uses we wanted to have in there, um, what's the landscaping going to look like, what's the feel going to be, what's the traffic flow, both pedestrian traffic and vehicle traffic. Uh, you know, what are we going to do with this site? What are we going to do with the existing Terminal 1 facility, which is the our original warehouse from the 1920s? And that's why it's Terminal 1, right? Because it literally was the first terminal for the port? That's exactly right. Yeah, it literally was our first marine terminal back in the 1920s. It was a partnership project with the city of Vancouver, which, uh, you know, our partnership stretches way, way back. The port was formed in 1912 and uh, by the taxpayers of Clark County, and we've been partnering with the city since then. It seems like there is so much um, so much potential in that real estate. At this point, what is the port's vision for what that project is going to look like in X number of years? So before we go there, let me take you back because I touched on back. this. Yeah, let's go back. You love context, right? We talked about this I yesterday. I love context. Yeah, I do too, because I think it really informs sort of where we're at today. So as I was saying, you know, back in the day, it was we had this, this marine facility that was actually built in partnership with the city. We took over ownership of it and um, it was, it had many different incarnations over the years. It started out as sort of your typical marine terminal, um, typical for the 20s. So it was moving products from the Pacific Northwest to the world and vice versa. Um, we did have some coming in, but you know, we, we create a lot of raw products here. So you're talking lumber, flax, um, prunes. I you know if you guys know this, but this was the prune capital of the world back in the 20s through the like the 50s. So I have like mental images of like guys in caps with like hand trucks literally wheeling things up in and out of ships. That's about right. Wow. Yeah. Back, back then, it would have looked a lot like that. A little bit more technologically advanced today on our marine terminals, but at Terminal 1 in the 1920s and 30s, um, and even into the 40s, that's what it, it could have been. So um, that's where we started, and that's very much a port trade sort of look. Um, and then as we progressed into the 30s and 40s, you started seeing a lot of shipbuilding down at Terminal 1. And that was a little bit more to the west of the Terminal 1 proper, um, but there were two different shipbuilding companies and they built wooden and steel ships um, as uh, we got into the war years and uh, as ships were really in demand and you guys have heard of the Kaiser shipyards and that was very big industry here. Um, in fact, a lot of the homes that were built in the Fruit Valley neighborhood were built for the shipbuilding industry. So those were just like the the workmen's workers' houses, really? That's right. I had no idea. 
Talk about a great commute. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Best commute ever. Um, it's a little bit different nowadays, but uh, but yeah. So there's a great history on this site. Um, and when we got out of sort of the, the war years, and then the I-5 bridge was built, and when the original I-5 bridge was built, which just had its hundredth anniversary, um, this is the. I heard something yeah, about that. You might have heard about that. <laughs> this is the uh, the southbound span now. Um, that was uh, too close to our Terminal One dock to allow for the large ships to then berth at that site. We had to actually cut our dock off a little bit, um, some of the east side. Um, and so what uh, then happened, uh, there was some, you know, kind of in between, but then in the 50s and into the 60s, you had uh, a company called Key LLC come in, and they rented the, the facility, and the Key restaurant came in, and the Red Lion in the, the 60s. And the Red Lion was uh, basically what it was up until we took... Um, over the facility. We've always owned it, but then you know, took it back over uh, in late 2015. It's really interesting to me that it turned into a hotel so relatively early on in its history, because so many ports I talk to right now, they're looking at their old like industrial or logistics properties, and they're starting to see the uh, see the future of those areas as like, you know, cool waterfront locations or commercial space, retail space, things like that. And here, this happened here, you know, decades before that shift really started happening. That's true. That's a really good point. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I knew more about that. I know that the family that, that owned Key LLC uh, did a lot of that kind of uh, work. And uh, they owned some properties around here. They developed the Totem Pole Restaurant, which was uh, very popular and very big um, for this community back then. Um, and I think, I, I want to say that didn't come down until maybe the 90s. I mean, it was really a, an institution, as has been the Red Lion and the Key Restaurant. Right. And I think you and I in previous interviews have talked about this a lot, but the uh, this port property, or this property, even though its use has really evolved, and even for a while, I mean, after the hotel and the restaurant went away, it was just kind of sat there. But nonetheless, it's been an important property for the port. Yeah, it's, you, we've been doing a few things to try to see, you know, how do we keep this vibrant? How do we, I mean, we knew even before um, we took possession and in, in, or retook possession, essentially, um, there was a kind of a middleman situation with the Red Lion um, through the lease agreement. But once uh, we had the building in late 2015, we had uh, Absi, um, which was the biotech company that we were looking to bring in. Unfortunately, that didn't work out, um, but they're in our community, and that's what's important. We partnered with uh, CREDC and a number of other folks, uh, Greater Portland Inc., um, to, you know, the economic development folks in the community to try to bring that industry here. And we succeeded in that. And even if they're not at Terminal 1, it's, that's okay. Um, so that was a, a good news piece. And it did kind of rekindle the interest in that facility and, and help people see that there's some real potential there. So you guys tried to, in, in the years after the... Um after the red line and things went away, you guys tried to get other businesses to move into this property. Yeah, so it hasn't really been that long. So it was November of 2015 that we um, we essentially the red line closed its doors, and we then immediately announced uh, that Absi was going to come in, and we were working through that process in 2016. And we had uh, Torque Coffee in there for a little while, and that didn't work out in the long run for Torque, um, but we did have them in there for a little while, which is great for traffic. In 2016, we also um, were in talks with Mark Mathias, who owns Beach's Restaurant. He now has opened Warehouse 23, which is doing just phenomenally well. I was just in there for dinner the other day, and the bartender was telling me that they're just slammed busy even on weekdays, which is oh. fantastic. And that's keeping a lot of foot traffic down there while we go through the CDP process. I wonder, and I may have asked you this in the past, but have you guys looked to other ports in America and seen this sort of shift as well? I mean, it's really fascinating to hear about you guys moving from a commodities-driven business to bringing in these businesses like this. Absolutely. So, you know, we still there's still a lot of the commodities-driven and, and industry, light and heavy industry that happens on the port proper, uh, which is, you know, to the west and, you know, the port properties down there. We have, you know, 2,100 acres of industrial and marine property. So we, we still have a lot of that. That. But this property is really unique, and it's not in that industrial base anymore. Um, it was uh, industrial land, and still actually some of it, I think, is zoned industrial, which we've worked with the city to change the zoning over the years. Um, but um, some of our staff, while we were going through the visioning process for Terminal 1, went up to uh, different ports uh, in the Puget Sound area and looked at what they're doing with some of their original marine facilities and properties. Um, there's some private companies that are doing some things in conjunction with ports. Uh, so it's it's very cool to see this, this change over, um, not just here in Vancouver, but also in the Northwest. Well, could you provide any examples of 
those ports up at the Puget Sound, are they doing anything that's particularly innovative and stuff that you guys might be modeling yourselves after? And I, I wish I could recall, there was one in particular that had a very similar, um, and I want to, it's either Bellevue, maybe? I think it might be Bellevue. Um, they looked at a couple of different ones up in Puget Sound, and uh, they had a very similar kind of situation where they had this great old uh, warehouse um, and decided to emulate that. And I think that they may have either remodeled the existing structure or um, repurposed some of it, and that was something that we wanted to emulate if we could. We wanted to see if there were some ways that we could preserve that warehouse because that really is history for us and for our community. I attended a, a meeting that was held at, uh, I want to call it the old Red Lion, at, at Terminal 1 uh, this summer when it was when they were kind of floating around ideas of what that facility could be. And the guys that you had there, uh, it's if I remember right, their expertise was utilizing public space in whatever that may be. So they talked a lot about like Pike's Place Market and then like some open space in Detroit where they converted like an old empty lot or an empty block, I think it was, and like made it like a place where everybody could hang out and have markets and things. And I remember them talking about that specifically, like what is a low cost way to improve a space and how could something like that apply to the old hotel and yes. I mean if I remember right at the time they were talking about like this was just a brainstorming session but they were talking about this idea of like um, in that great like courtyard area making little outward facing shops and all those little places and like experimental little nooks did that idea make it into those plans or what do these plans look like for the facility now sure so and just so folks know the concept development plan is currently in its public comment process so you can access it uh, through the city of vancouver we'll have it up on, on our website uh, linked through our waterfront web page so uh, if you want to see the cdp you can how long is the comment period open for 30 days, so it was posted uh, for public comment on the 15th, so on Wednesday, and then it'll be open until March 17th. Great. Comment, yeah. people. And there will be a, a public process for that through the city of Vancouver, so there'll be a hearing with the hearings examiner, and I believe two city council hearings um, for this, so lots of opportunities to, to see it in action and comment on it. That's great. So as far as your question, though, um, regarding the you know marketplace, artist space, maker space, um, those different things that the Project for Public Spaces brought forth as ideas for that site, and these are things that have been done, as you mentioned, in other uh, cities and other ports uh, across the nation, and they really are specialists in this. And some of this was also based on stakeholder feedback that we received. We did some surveys, and I think that might have been some of the things that you mm -hmm. attended, Damien. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this is still kind of up in the air. I mean, we have a vision. Our commission has a vision. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a public agency, so it's mm -hmm. very important to us that it reflect our community and that our community has really good access to not only the amenities there, but also the Columbia River. What oh, is in the grand sure. vision? So, uh, so as far as what's in the CDP, so you're going to find every little detail that you probably never wanted to know in the CDP, but you will find some of those um, marketplace or or maker space or kind of almost incubator type uses. We have to, we don't necessarily have to drill down to who exactly is going to use it, but we do have to meet the uses that the city is asking for, right? Or is or can permit. You have to um, follow those guidelines and be within that process. So I hope that answers your question at least a little. I'm hoping if you could uh, maybe paint a picture for somebody listening to this, what that space might look like in, you know, what, whatever given number of years it takes for the port to complete. So here's my big caveat. We don't know for sure. The CDP does spell out a lot of that. I mean, it has the hotel that we plan to build um, that we're working with Festa Hospitality on. So where is the is the hotel going to be in the Red Lion, or is it going to be alongside of it? Or? It would actually be north of Columbia Way. So Columbia Way is what cuts cuts it in half, essentially. Um, on the south side of Columbia Way, that's the new roadway. That's uh, the Red Lion and Terminal 1, and you know mm -hmm. that's that property. And the so, north side is the other blocks that we'll be developing. Gotcha. So there's a hotel down there, and that's between the road and the, the railroad, Correct. right? Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. And then um, we're looking at mixed use, which would be to the west, uh, the west block. Um, but, uh, and again, you can see this in the CDP. There's lots of maps and diagrams. Um, it, it goes down to, you know, how we're going to drain it for stormwater and what, are, what kind of trees are we going to plant, you know. So you can find that level of detail. Mm-hmm. You won't necessarily find the level of detail that I think a lot of folks would really like to see, which is we're going to have a market right here and we're going to have food right here. You know, that's just we're just not there yet. It sounds like it must be a challenge for you guys to try to get this plan all squared away, but not entirely sure what sorts of tenants are going to end up moving in there. 
the, yeah, it, it really is um, because we again we have this vision and we know what we want to do. But you know, there's also the physical reality of what you can do with a nearly hundred year old structure and something that's existing. And again, you know, PPS Project for Public Spaces had some great ideas and other things that have been done. But it also you know it has to um, not be too costly. I mean, you know, we have to at least break even <laughs> would be nice um, to be able to to keep it running and you know keep it in good repair. Um, but I will say uh, just to kind of give you an idea of like the next, well, at least the next few months, you're going to start seeing some demolition of the old Red Lion Hotel. So we have the West Wing, which is the one that's to the west and north, uh, kind of a the L of the the leg of the L that would be on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a really good job painting a picture. Yeah. Um, that's the West Wing, and that's uh, going to come down, and then a portion of the South Wing will come down as well. Um, and we've also done a lot of work on the lobby and the event space. Because Warehouse 23 is bringing in a lot of events, uh, weekdays and weekends, and we're also using the existing event space for our lecture series, which we kicked off uh, earlier, actually, this week on Monday. So there's still a lot going on there, and we're still working on the facility, um, but you will start to see some of it come down and make some room for probably parking in the short term, but then perhaps um, some maker space or uh, you know, some kind of a market idea could start going in in the lobby and maybe the south wing. But again, that's... It depends on who's interested. It depends on costs. We're working through a lot of that right now. So is there going to be much of that old Red Lion facility left? Um, I mean, is there going to be like half of the building left or less than half when this well, is all done? According to current plans, um, there would be, I would say, a, about half of it left after the demolition, maybe a little more than half. So the the Warehouse 23 is in the old uh, Terminal 1 warehouse, the, the original warehouse that's going to stay um, at least for the near future i would say a few years because that our commission has uh, communicated to us that they would really like that facility to stay where it is for now there's a wrinkle in that which is the columbia river crossing whenever a new i-5 bridge is built um, that's going to change the footprint of the bridge and we cannot have a structure underneath that structure hmm. so when that happens and again that's a timeline that's in flux as well um, when that happens, then we have to reassess when we start to understand more about what that looks like. But in the, sh- the short term, for a port, which could be years, um, <laughs> that restaurant and that building will stay where it is. It sounds like it's quite an undertaking for you guys. But um, again, in the field of maybe it's too soon to be asking, but does it seem like the vision that you guys have internally with the port is it going to, does it seem like it skews more in one direction? Like maybe you've got an interest in amenities for people it sounds like you've listed off a few maker spaces artist spaces or are you guys perhaps leaning towards landing businesses that are going to be headquartered there or office space to be rented out do you have any sorts of leanings in that direction so i think it fits really well with you know our mission is to create economic benefit for our community and so you know it it makes our job complex in some ways because you know it's fairly clear on the industrial marine side what that means you bring in cargoes that brings in revenue it creates jobs those people pay their taxes and that creates services what we're looking at with terminal one with possible you know small business space or maker space artist space a marketplace which by the way i need to mention we are working very closely with the farmers market the Vancouver Farmers Market. Um, they're a partner and we've been working with them for a long time and we don't want to displace or change anything for the Farmers Market. In fact, we may be able to complement some of what they're doing by providing some different um, times and dates when people can offer offer their wares at, at a marketplace at Terminal 1. So it's economic development in a different way. It's not marine economic development. It's not industrial. We're not providing, you know, this big warehouse or, or, you know, manufacturing site, but we're providing somewhere for a business to get a start. And then for a marketplace, you can bring in small food businesses, food trucks, small companies, you know, the person that does 15-minute massages or, you know, you see this all over the country, a person that makes candles, you know, all these different services and products. You can bring those in and have both the public benefit and an economic benefit for the community. Yeah, I think that, you know, for so many people, when they think of like a farmer's market or a community market, it's just like some like cute little thing to do on like a Saturday morning and stroll around. But if you're standing on the vendor side of things, like this is, for so many people, I think it's an incubator for business ideas. I mean, there is more than one firm that I can just think of off the top of my head that started by selling something out of the back of their truck at a farmer's market on Saturdays. That's right. So 
Yeah. yeah it's it that's if you look at it from the other side it's like oh okay i can see how this is economic development and you have to start somewhere um and sometimes when there's an ability to remove some of those barriers it can really be the push that you need yeah absolutely when i think about what the waterfront is going to look like after all buildouts are complete and uh is graymore property right that's the waterfront I wonder how the ports facility and just the look and feel, the overall aesthetic of the place is going to uh, relate to the aesthetic that Graymore is creating with theirs. Like, how well are these two things going to work together? It should be seamless. That's what we are aiming for. If you look at the site, if you're looking down like a bird's eye view today, um, and you had sort of the schematic of all the property lines and everything, it's pretty clean. That wasn't the case 10 or so years ago. And so as the city and as we and as Columbia Waterfront LLC as the city's developer started looking at what needed to happen there, we needed to organize it essentially. Um, you needed to make these parcels whole so you could actually build on them. You needed to, there was a, a rail line that ran straight through many of the, the parcels. You needed to move that. You needed to get roadway access. So those, those are the things that laid the groundwork and they're not sexy and you know we, we forget about it really quickly, right? And now we're at the point where it is getting sexy. So we want you to have the same experience when you walk through the port's property and onto the city and Graymore's property and vice versa. Hmm. We want to connect um, the, the sort of feel of the places together. We want to connect to the Renaissance Trail so that you can just continue right on straight through if you're walking through. Um, you should be able to come down and have an experience that feels whole. When are things going to go online? Yeah. When do we start get to do, get yeah, to do this Yeah. When do we get cool to go stuff? down there? Yeah. Well, you, you can go down today and uh, you know have a beer at Warehouse Twenty Three and look out over the Columbia. I think we have the best view in Vancouver right there from the the old key restaurant at Warehouse Twenty Three. I might not argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that that bridge, I mean, take it for what it is. It is. Uh, it is a beautiful piece of architecture to look out on while you're sitting in that restaurant. It is pretty it's cool. It's great. Yeah. I love that. You know, it, I, I used to be a transportation PIO, and, you know, I could nerd out about transportation forever. But a lot of the structures today don't have a superstructure above the roadway like that does because, no. you know, that's how they design them. That's part of what bears the load of the bridge. And um, they're just not as pretty, for sure. Um, but I would agree. There are other benefits, you know, like safety and longevity that... <laughs> yes, <laughs> seismic stability is you know, really great yeah. in your bridges. But when are we going to get to the point where we see like that market <laughs> you're talking about and that hotel and we get to park down there? So I get to go back to the CDP and talk a little bit about that. So we have the public process that's happening this winter and spring, and we hope to have our approval uh, this summer from the city. And then at that point, um, we also have some permitting that needs to happen. Um, it needs to happen for us. It needs to happen for our developers. Uh, so that would be Vesta. And then Holland is Holland Partner Group is who we're working with on the multi-use facility. Um, and so their permitting needs to take place, and we're really hoping that we could break ground as early as late this year. So that is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And then as far as what we're going to do with Terminal 1 as it exists today, you know, that, that kind of remains to be seen as we work through the process of, you know, we have had conversations with, you know, artisans, and, you know, we had a lot of conversations during that planning process with PPS, with some of the stakeholders and small businesses in the area, because we actually reached out to vendors to say, hey, come give us your feedback. We have had conversations with those folks, um, but we need to look at the numbers. We need to look at, you know, what needs to happen to that facility to make it usable and safe and, you know, clean. Um, so there's a lot of work that has to be done, but, uh, but I think that you'll probably start to see some movement in that direction this year. Well, I know as a business reporter here, we hear all the time that how excited people are for the waterfront too. So, I mean, there's definitely a huge push from the public side to see what you guys can come up with. So it's gotta be pretty exciting for you guys and Graymore too to sort of be the ones to, I don't know, bring this thing to life. It's so exciting. And there's just a lot of people that are working on it, a lot of people working behind the scenes that don't get to be the ones to talk into the microphone. And I think the public is really excited and you know everybody wants to get down there. I wanna get down there. I can't wait to take my kids down there and say, yeah, I was part of this and you know, so were all my coworkers. And, mm -hmm. um, but we wanna do it right. We wanna, mm -hmm. we wanna get it right. And we want to be true to the vision that our community and our um, elected board has for this site. I think you touched on something there that I think I've felt in the community as well. While everyone has been very excited and appreciative of the development that has happened in Vancouver, especially in the downtown area, um, 
it seems like there's a very different attitude that people have, more of a heightened awareness, I would say, about the changes that are happening on the waterfront. It really is. What I think it takes and what I think we're very fortunate to have here is we have leaders um, who believe in making this work for the community and making it an asset for the community and who are willing to do the hard work and, and make the partnerships that actually make this stuff happen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really all it takes, uh, mm-hmm. right, is the gumption and the hard work. And it's been, again, it's been a decade mm-hmm. of partnership and hard work and, you know, a lot of negotiations and a lot of, you know, paperwork. And, you know, it's, it's not a whole lot of fun necessarily, um, but that's what it takes to get there. And, and the partnerships, I think, are key mm-hmm. because without working with the city, and work the port and the city and the rail and you know all of the different folks working together, we wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Well, I really hope everybody that listens to this uh, reviews the document you were talking about and comments on it because those things are very important. I appreciate that, and yeah, please do. You know, take a look at the CDP, take a look at our website. We have a project, we have a page dedicated to this project that has information on it. You know, whether you're a member of the public interested, or you want to comment, or you're a business, you know, somebody who might want to locate at Terminal One someday, or you. Just want to know more about it there's a lot of information available you can also always attend our board meetings which are the second and fourth tuesdays of the month um, and you know come down and talk about terminal one whether it's on the agenda or not Um, but there will definitely be opportunities throughout this process as we're finalizing negotiations and you know looking at the hotel and look at mixed use where, where it'll actually be on our agenda and you can come down and hear more about it and i'm sure we'll have some public workshops as well great well thanks for coming on abby it was a great conversation So I'm sitting down today with Lainey Pham. She is a junior at Battleground High School. Next month, she will be participating in the State Poetry Out Loud competition where high schoolers from around the state recite selected poems. So here's here's Lainey, and she's going to be talking a little bit about her experience in this doing this activity as well as uh, reading a poem. So. Um, so uh, I'm Vietnamese. My parents came over from Vietnam, but I was born here. And so growing up, I had sort of a language barrier um, because my parents are native speakers in Vietnamese and I speak Vietnamese around the house. But um, with this, I had troubles speaking English. So with this, as I got into high school, um, I joined speech and debate and this really helped with my language skills. And in high school, I was also introduced to Poetry Out Loud. Um, Poetry Out Loud to me is like delivering my thoughts and expressions through an art, art form. Um, uh, so at State, I picked the poem Personal by Tony Hoagland. Uh, I chose this because the first line of my poem was, don't take it personal, instead of don't take it personally. Uh, when I read this, I thought maybe the audience that the author was talking to, perhaps the audience didn't speak uh, much perfect English. And so I related to that because I also had a language barrier. And I continued reading the poem and I picked that poem for the language barrier reason. Um, In my upcoming poem that I will recite at State, uh, Beautiful Wreckage, uh, I chose it because it was about the Vietnam War. Me being Vietnamese, I related to that because of my nationality. And there are even words in Vietnamese in the poem, which I understand and can't speak, so I, I could relate to the poem on a personal level. Uh, personal by Tony Hoagland. Don't take it personal, they said. But I did. I took it all quite personal. The breeze, the river, and the color of the fields. The price of grapefruit and stamps the wet hair of women in the rain. And I cursed what hurt me, and I praised what gave me joy, the most simple-minded of possible responses. The government reminded me of my father, with its deafness and its laws, and the weather reminded me of my mom, with her tropical squalls. Enjoy it while you can, they said of happiness. Think first, they said of talk. Get over it, they said, at the school of broken hearts. But I couldn't. And I didn't. And I don't believe in the clean break. I believe in the compound fracture served with a sauce of dirty regret. I believe in saying it all. 
and taking it all back and saying it again while the air fills up with I'm sorry's like wheeling birds and the trees look seasick in the wind. Oh life, can you blame me for making a scene? You were that yellow caboose, the moon disappearing over a ridge of cloud. I was the dog, chained in some fool's backyard, barking and barking, trying to convince everything else to take it personal too. So I am sitting down with Isabella Del Toso. She is a 16-year-old sophomore at Vancouver School of Arts and Academics, and she will also be going to the state competition of Poetry Out Loud. So thanks so much for, for coming on. All right. Hi. I'm Isabella. Well, okay. So for my poems, I picked two poems. The first is called The Arrow and the Song by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and the second is called The Speakers by Weldon Keyes. And they are two very different poems, but both of them resonated with me when I was trying to find poems. The way I started finding poems was I just went to the Poetry Out Loud anthology and I hit random poem over and over and over again. And sometimes I try reading them aloud to see which matched up or was a good fit for me and for my voice and, and for just me as a person and, and what I, my aesthetic, my tastes. And I found, the first one I found was The Arrow and the Song. That was the first poem I decided on. And it is the first that I always do. I start with that one. And this poem is, it's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It's extremely personal at this point. It's a very classic poem. And it stuck with me because it talks about topics that I am very passionate about. Um, music, friendship, I'm a singer and an artist and I act and art is so important to me and a part of my life as well as my friends who support me and to me this poem is really about putting yourself out there and finding yourself and finding your place and finding that you are unbroken and that your art or your work or whatever it may be has touched someone's heart or brought someone joy or it's had its effect. And I think that is absolutely beautiful and that's what I strive for as an artist. I, I want to be an artist, I want to, to make a living one, at some point on, on art, on my music, on theater, and I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And I've tied a lot of specific memories, emotions, feelings from my own life to this poem. I think of my friends every time I recite this, I think of different shows that I've done or different performances I've had in, in that moment of of finding yourself and and where you are in your in your life I think it's a beautiful metaphor so that poem I picked because it is it's very personal and I've I've made it about me you know um, I just I love its message and it's it's beautiful piece of poetry the second poem is the speakers by Weldon Keys it is a very different poem and to me this poem stuck out to me because it's extremely timely. It's, it's just, it's a very different poem. It's, it's dark, it's bitter, um, it's political. And at the time I picked it, I was very frustrated by a lot of things that I am seeing in the world and in our country, injustices, uh, lies. And it's about the truth and the importance of the truth and it's about how history repeats itself. And it is this very direct, very important message. It's a wake-up call, really. And I, I found it, and its words may not be as beautiful as the arrow in the song. It's, not as, it's certainly not as easy to carry, but it's something that audiences need to hear and people need to hear. And it's a message that I wanted to, to get out there and, and to speak this message, because I think it's really important and just it's very timely it's it's something it's something that people need to hear um, so that's those are the poems that that I picked and I guess yeah when you're picking poetry you have to have a personal connection to the poems it has to come from you it needs to be real because that's what's going to make it good that's what's going to keep it from not just being a performance or an ordinary recitation if you can give life to the words and make them make them resonate with 
with the audience, that's what's really important here. And that's what will make it memorable. The Arrow and the Song by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth. I knew not where. For so swiftly it flew, the sight could not follow it in its flight. I breathed a song into the air. It fell to earth. I knew not where. For who has sight so keen and strong that it can follow the flight of song? Long, long afterward in an oak, I found the arrow still unbroke. And the song from beginning to end I found again in the heart of a friend. All right, so it is uh, time for Ashley's Corner. Hey, Ashley. hey Hanging with Ashley. Woohoo! What's going on this weekend, Ashley? Well, it is the weekend of the Oscars. Uh, it's what I keep saying, <laughs> and Damien keeps poo-pooing me. Why? Um, I'm not an Oscars fan. Um, I'm just not into award shows. Oh. The, uh, that, like too cool for school like inner 16 year old in me has never quite left mm -hmm. and I just I I'm interested in watching them act mm -hmm. and I'm interested that's about it I'm interested in just watching them act mm. Damien thinks he's better than us is what he's trying to say <laughs> I do so this is like my my like anti oh wait no I don't no I don't <laughs> But as you said, my anti-establishment self thinks that like all award shows are is just it's just uh, an industry marketing tool. It's it's yeah, it's just promotion. There's no value there. So actually, you and I can talk about the Oscars. So what's uh, <laughs> is there anything local? Any watch parties or anything? Uh, not or? that I've heard of. Uh, I think everyone's kind of sticking to the couch this year. Um, but there's definitely opportunities to see movies that will be up for Oscars, which is kind of cool. Um, the Oscar short programs are still running at both Camus and Kagan's uh, theaters. Cool. So you can go and watch the one, uh, all the different nominees. And then uh, Kagan's theater this this week, uh, starting Friday, is offering. Uh, uh, the nomination for best documentary feature, one of the nominations, uh, which is I'm Not Your Negro. Yeah, I hear that's amazing. I hear it's getting insanely good reviews. Mm -hmm. It's it's won two awards, uh, well, two big awards, especially the Toronto Film Festival Award. Um, but it's a documentary that's based off of a book that was never finished by James Baldwin. And it was a book that was basically talking about the lives of his three friends uh -huh. who were all assassinated, which was uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and Megar Evans. Jeez. And so this is using, um, he only did 30 pages of his book, and the filmmaker kind of makes an entire documentary about both James Baldwin and, and his work and his life. Cool. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Um, Camus, if you want a non-Oscar related thing, Camus Liberty is also showing uh, Swan Lake, the ballet by the um, the Bolshoi Ballet from Russia, Moscow, Russia, which is one of the oldest ballets in the world. So you can watch kind of the quintessential ballet, which is Swan Lake. And this is the live, this is where mm -hmm. they show it. Yeah. On the, like the video. Yeah, instead of cool. going to Moscow, Russia, you can just watch <laughs> it in Camus. Also, yeah, if you don't want to sit on the couch all weekend, which is, you know, it's valid. That's your opinion. Yeah. Whatever. There's the uh, little thing called the Portland Home and Garden Show. This is their 70th year. 70 years of, of home and garden excellence. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, home it, and garden excellence. It, I, it's getting to be the season, isn't it? It is. And I think everyone's kind of craving to have an excuse to go outside and do something. Or at least do something inside because they've been stuck inside all winter. Is there, um, a, is there a cost for... There is an admission price, but I think it's like $6. Okay. Um, if you go online early, you can usually get an admissions coupon. Um, but it runs uh, starting Thursday through Sunday, so you can find all sorts of ideas or workshops or really cool landscape designs and a giant plant sale, which is fun. Saturday is also Washington oh, totally Beer Open House. 
Washington Beer Open House? Yes. What is that? Uh, so the Washington State Beer Association basically says, let's invite the public into the local breweries and a bunch of local breweries across the state participate. And you can go and meet your your local brewer. You can get tours of their facilities. You can try their new barrel tastings. Like, it's just a big fun shindig at, at a lot of the local places. And is this just at, like, any and all of the local breweries? Or, are, like, are some participating and some are not? Um, most are participating in the area, but it's always good to check on the website. Um, the ones I have seen that are participating are um, 54 Degrees 40 Feet in Washougal, Fortside, Heathen, Ghost Runner, Heavy Metal Brewing, Lewitt, Trusty, and McMinimins on the Columbia. The other thing is if you like classical music, someone who is earned the right to be called a virtuoso at clarinet uh david triffin is coming to perform with the vancouver symphony um what's cool is he's got three grammy nominations he's won an award that i think only one other person who plays the wind instrument has won um he uh, is the artistic director of chamber music northwest and the symphony is also going to be playing um, mozart's 40th but yeah it's a it's supposed to be a really good concert for classical music fans anything else or is that kind of the weekend uh there's bits and bobs here and there like i said i it's this is always just a few of the interesting highlights the i pull out the sampling yeah the, o- platter. the only other interesting thing that i like to talk about is we have a bunch of different um bars and nightlife spots in clark county that offer live music mm. and not a lot of people are necessarily always aware of them um we have a lot of like local bands and especially a lot of tribute bands in the area like the northwest has a bunch of tribute bands that are that are pretty good from what i've heard um so billy blues on saturday billy blues bar and grill will be hosting kind of two grunge tribute bands which is uh washington black and plush and washington black is a pearl jam tribute band and plush is a stone temple pilots tribute band so okay epic cover bands yeah what else i mean there's also um, a neil young tribute band called uh harvest gold oh they'll they'll be performing um up in ridgefield at the old liberty theater and it's actually a benefit concert for an organization called music cares and Mm. they basically raise money for musicians who are having a hard time like if they have medical bills or other things and kind of gives them a a way to kind of pay for that and a fund and support for that Mm. that seems like an organization neil young would approve of mm-hmm. god i can't remember the name of the essay to save my life but one of chuck Klosterman's earlier works and i think still one of his best works was like a long form feature on a cover band like an 80s band mm-hmm. cover band and i think it was guns and roses if i remember right that mm-hmm. they were covering hilarious and amazing the insights of the mind of the person who really wants to emulate another musician yeah i mean it's a fascinating like talent too because it mm-hmm. takes work I mean, the only thing else I, that, like, it's a pretty interesting slow weekend, and the Oscars should be fun for fans of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of us, there's classical music and cover bands. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, and the Portland Home and Garden Show. That's right. Buy a houseplant. Listen to a cover band. Great. <laughs> Sounds like there's plenty of things to do this weekend. Thanks for filling us in. No problem. All right, so that is our show today. That's a wrap. That was a little bit shorter than the last few shows we've done. Yeah, we've had some kind of long shows, though, to be fair. I think we have. I think it's uh, this has definitely a, been a case of scope creep. Scope creep? Have you heard about that? No. So scope creep is Where a... Where your scope gets too big? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. In a nutshell. Yeah, not like your hunting scope, but like the scope of the project you want yeah. to do. Uh, that's been happening with our podcast, but I think it's because we've been doing a lot more content with a lot more voices, yeah. and we're covering much more interesting things. Totally. I agree. There you go. So I had an email this week um, that I uh, wanted to, to talk about because it it it's it just like harkens back to something that i'm currently obsessed with so we had an, an election email. last week yeah we talked we about did have an, we did have an email it wasn't about the podcast but it was um but it was this this gal that emailed me um and separately mentioned work that both damien and i have done and um i wrote a blog post about overvoting and undervoting in school levies yeah um, so what is an overvote so and an, an overvote is where you mark more than one candidate on your ballot so like you mean more than one candidate who are vying for the same position yes so if i voted for both hillary clinton and donald trump then that would be an overvote in the presidential race those votes don't count Uh you don't get to vote for them on fire so yeah or 
undervotes or there are undervotes, which is where you don't vote, which makes sense in a ballot where you have like 40 things on it. Like we and did I've last done November. That. Yeah, I admit I've done that totally. And if you don't feel like you don't understand the issue and you're just getting voter fatigue and you're like, I'm not going to worry about this one. Mm hmm. The thing is with these school levies and school bonds is with the exception of a couple of districts, there was only one item on everybody's ballot. Just so one. just one. Yeah. Just the just the bond or the and levy. You're talking about our last like uh, on Valentine's February and Valentine's Day. Day. So mm. so there were a handful of people who either didn't mark their ballot and sent it in or took it to a box or marked it more than they should have and sent it to a box so wait they had just one thing on there and they either didn't put anything on it all or they double marked it oh and they and, said yes and no and for one sent thing. their ballot in yes and sent the ballot and in. sent the ballot in so like like people cared enough to be like i guess there should be an election on this but didn't care enough to like have an opinion about it it's sort of how i interpreted it which probably is a vast that's the silliest it's thing ridiculous it is ridiculous i really want to bring in either an overvoter or an undervoter and just sit them down and ask why would you why? do that why would you do that? Why yeah. would you do that? And the thing if is, if you don't want to participate in the election, just don't send it in, which you shouldn't do anyways. Right. You should always participate in your right. elections. And the, and the thing is, is that with the with the with the bonds, that was actually kind of okay because the when you're for school bonds, you have to hit a certain threshold of a number of voters for it to count. Right. Um, and it's forty percent of the number of people who participated in the last general election. So that both of our districts that had bonds, Ridgefield and Vancouver, had kind of high thresholds because we had the there was a really big voter turnout. Yeah, it was election. really big voter turnout in the last election. So um, so it's like on one hand, like yeah, you did your part, I guess. But especially those people that undervoted in like the battleground levy, like what are you doing, bro? Like why? So how was the voter turnout? There was a point with uh, the Vancouver kind of election okay. where we were afraid that it might not even reach that threshold, I don't know that right? we were afraid necessarily, but it definitely was like, oh my gosh, like I hope this happens. But for the for the school district, um but uh voter turnout I believe was 30 about 35%. Um mm -hmm. and I actually saw Chuck Green, um Vancouver's resident nerd did a um analysis on Clark County Citizens for Good Governance breaking down the uh, voter turnout in school races over over years, um, and it it has been on the decline in the last few years. What so, has voter turnout in special elections for school levies? Oh, I'm not so, surprised. Yeah, um, I don't know who's responsible for that. Like, I don't know who's supposed to step in and be like, "Hey, voters, care," but I think. I think we, there was probably a lot of fatigue. I mean, who wanted to vote after that election that we had in November? I mean, we just had one. It was exhausting. So Yeah, that's true. So anyway, that show is a wrap. Um, if you didn't vote, shame. 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 I if you did vote, vote, you didn't vote? No. Katie? No, because we shame. moved. <laughs> With, there's a reason for this and it's a bad reason but it's because we moved so i felt weird like and we were out in hawkinson Fair so i felt weird being like okay taxpayers you're gonna pay more money for this athletic field or right. like okay school screw your athletic field and then right. leaving like you know, okay so we are gonna have another episode next week that yeah, will happen we will always have we'll another always episode have an episode for the foreseeable future <laughs> so you can uh you can find this podcast on columbian.com on thursdays um it is uh also on soundcloud stitcher and you can subscribe on itunes i think that you might be able to get it in a few other places as well really yeah like i um the that podcast service that google puts out i think oh. we're available on that oh as well. cool yeah anyway look around for us and please get in touch with us we've been getting more and more emails and man that's fun all right anyway. have a good week guys 